I hope you enjoy the upcoming content that we'll have for you on today's episode. I think you'll get quite a bit out of it. And know that today's episode is brought to you by the Swim Master Melody Course at successwithmusic.com. If you are in the songwriting game, if you are in the production game, make sure you understand what it takes to create a melody before you get to mastering and mixing and all that man it all starts with a powerful melody check it out today it is absolutely worth the investment the swim master melody course at successwithmusic.com hey let's get to the show this is swim success with music Yo, what up, music fam? This is Walt. This is Success With Music. I am your music coach, and today we have a very special episode. Hey, listen, I want to jump right past our typical formalities here and move into our main topic for today. The reason for this move is we have an important guest for the show. His name is Andrew Hill. Andy Hill is a movie music specialist. Andy has worked with some of the biggest names in the music business as it relates to film. He's worked on some of the largest global film productions, all on the music side of things. So if you've ever been interested in how to score music for film, for movies, you are about to hear inside information from a guy that's done it for many, many years right there at the heart of it all, right there in Hollywood. Hey, let's just go ahead and get to the show today. Hey, Swim family, this is Walt again. This is Success With Music, and today we are absolutely uh, ecstatic about our guest. His name is Andrew Hill, Andy Hill, and he is the author of Scoring the Screen. So let me give you just a bit of background here. Andy is, number one, an amazing musician. Um, and so I really, really want you guys to focus and listen to the knowledge that you're going to hear because he's an industry expert in his area. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But let me just give you just a bit of information about Andy. So he is a film music executive. He's a music supervisor. He's a producer. As, as I mentioned, he's an artist. So today he's going to bring us some specific knowledge from his book and life experience, for that matter, from scoring the screen. Andy, thank you so much for joining the swim team today. We absolutely appreciate you being here today. It's uh, it's my pleasure, Walter. Does it uh, matter that I can't swim? No, it's okay. It's, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can barely swim, by the way. I just took some lessons, believe it or not, at this age, which shall remain uh, a secret. But yeah, I just uh, took some swim lessons here last year, so uh, I think we're in the same boat. Yeah, I, I learned. I learned late. You know, the first. Um during those formative years when I was supposed to get thrown into the pond, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> to see if I would sink or not. Yeah. Um, I just stayed away because the idea of getting water up my nose, it was a big deal to me. But finally, you know, what did it is peer pressure. Seeing, seeing a really cool guy that I admired a lot, you know, dive right off the pier. And I figured I got to do it. 
Hey, anyhow, <laughs> thank you. I'm uh, I'm I'm happy to be here to talk about the book. This is um, it. It was indeed a labor of love. Mm-hmm. Um, something I thought about doing for many years, and I had to get to a point where I felt like I I could do it. I was qualified to do it. I you know had gathered enough information over all the years that there really was something important to give back. And that's amazing. So and, and the listeners may not know this, but talk about your background. Talk about uh, what you're referring to here. So your background is in in film music, correct? Yeah, I, I, I but I'm a true musical mutt. Um, you know, I started out in the garage, uh, like a lot of other guys my age with a guitar. Yeah. Um, playing Beatles songs or whatever. And learning, picking up certain things about harmony and about melody and about the way songs were constructed and so forth just from playing them. But, you know, the emphasis was on on performance, not really on the craft behind it. And um, and we were doing mostly covers. Um, I got older, figured I'm too old for this. I can't be playing other people's music. Mm. And I went off to film school, which seems counterintuitive. Um because I, I just had this notion that I could do something musical with film. And I loved them both. I, and I always have. Right. Always will. I love them equally. Um, and I, you know, was able to, fortunately, things were flexible enough then. It was NYU in the early days, not long after Martin Scorsese had been there, had been a student there. Wow. And, but it was still very wide open. You could, you could sort of make your own agenda. And I just said, I'm going to study music for film, even though there's no real curriculum for it. Um, then you cut to, you got to cut like 10 years after I, f- I finished there, because I spent the next 10 years on the road. Um, still, still trying, you know, giving, you know, my all to the idea of a record contract, which was still the holy grail. You know, exactly, we're talking, yeah. talking about the 80s, you know, you could still hope to find some manager, some big shot. Right. Um, somebody nowadays, they, they would call them influencers. <laughs> but, you know, somebody who would wander into the club on Saturday night and say, this is the band I want. Right. And we came very, very close to that. Um, it was like that, that, that incredibly dazzling and at the same time uh, painful thing of not knowing if you're going to get the deal or not. And once I became completely convinced that that rock and roll stardom wasn't going to happen, that's when I returned to film. Ah. And um, to sort of cut to the chase, I got myself to Hollywood um, thinking I know enough about both of these things that I could offer myself up as a composer. Um, And... This is really the beginning of the story of the book because the first thing I did, you know, in, in show business, you've heard this before, you, you fake it till you make it. Right. You don't say, no, I can't do that. Exactly. <laughs> say, I'll find a way. And I, as I say, I knew just enough about both these things to think that I could fake it until I made it. Um, but immediately I started looking around, okay, there's got to be at least one book. There's got to be right, at least yeah. one book I can find that is a you know some composer's chronicle of how he made it or sure um, or or some expert 
looking at the great music of, uh, of, of Hollywood films from 1940 through 1980 and saying, you know, this is, this is how they did it. Nothing. There was nothing out there. Really? Uh, there were some interesting books that were mostly made of interviews. Uh-huh. There were some books about how to, how to handle the business side of it. Sure. And there, was, there were a couple of books about the purely technical side of writing music for film, which has a lot to do with synchronization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it's, the, it's the meshing of the two, the synchronizing of the, of the music with the film that, that makes the magic. And that is a craft. That's the craft part of it. It's not so much the art part of it. Um, so I couldn't find anything. And for many years, uh, what, what happened then, basically, I discovered that nobody hangs out, nobody puts out help wanted ads, you know, or Craigslist ads for composers exactly. in Hollywood. Right. They just don't do it. You get those jobs because you have a pre-existing relationship with someone. You went to school with them. You did a little indie film with them. Maybe sure. you shot their student project, something like that. Or you're a big deal. And they want you for your name. Right. But um, there was no fixed route. So I took the first um, serious job that I was offered that would allow me to actually continue to make music, mm-hmm. at, le- at least as a behind-the-scenes person, and that was at Disney. Wow. And I was very lucky. Um, the timing could not have been better. It was the beginning of what they now call the Disney Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And a whole new crew was in there from Paramount, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Michael Eisner, those people. Mm-hmm. And they, their task, their mission was to remake this little family company into an international powerhouse. Sure. And, well, they, by any measure, they, they did. Um, and a lot of it happened during the 10 years that I was there because those were the years of Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. And... For every one of those movies, there was a team. There's always a guy on top who's essentially making big creative calls about, right. okay, we're gonna make, we're gonna try and break a single from Beauty and the Beast. Who who should we have to sing it? And and that guy is dealing with the Celine Dion's mm-hmm. of the world, you know, um, get putting together the the soundtrack deal and the business aspect of it but then there's some other guy who's in the trenches um with the composers every day and the arrangers and the orchestrators and the musicians on the stage where the music is being uh recorded i was just lucky enough to be that guy wow because i kind of volunteered i said you know, early on when they were paying me nothing, and I'm not even sure what my title was, <laughs> you know, the question sort of goes up, can anybody go to the stage uh-huh. and help, help out the composer? And my hand goes up. Because, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because, again, I knew enough about music and how music was made for film that I was maybe foolish enough to think I could actually be an asset. Yeah. Um, and little by little, year by year, I learned how to be an asset. And sometimes it was by keeping my mouth shut, mm-hmm. and sometimes it was by saying the thing that nobody else wanted to say, right? But knew to be true, like this just isn't good enough, guys. <laughs> or you know, we're going to have to bring in a different singer, that sort of thing. And um, it was so it was very, very high tension, you know, tight wire kind of stuff. But I 
loved it. Wow. That, I mean, that's like an amazing story. I loved it. And I, I went, I worked with so many people with, you know, Robin Williams, Jeremy Irons. Really? Um, Anna, Stephen Sondheim, Warren Beatty, um, Whoopi Goldberg, of course, on Sister Act. Sure. Um, just because everybody was coming through Disney's gates in those days. And that gave me a tremendous amount of experience also in watching real producers, first-rate veteran producers. Right. And man, they are so smooth. Because um, artists are temperamental, or they can't, they can be, <laughs> especially if it's a bad day, you know, and things aren't going right in the studio, and the voice just isn't, isn't there that day for whatever um the producers have to be um incredibly patient Mm -hmm. and 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 um judicious in what they say because you don't want to you don't want to put the artist off their game sure at all and i i learned that watching producers mostly with the pop records that disney did in those days Mm -hmm. and then i learned this whole other thing from watching the orchestral recordings just that that's like a, a little small-scale D-Day invasion. So many things have to go right because huh. so much money is riding on it. Wow. It's an, an hour with an orca, Hollywood orchestra of 70 pieces can easily end up being $50,000. Um, that's bananas. You know, or more, depending on the, on the level of the talent that's there. So, And it might take 16, 20 hours. Really? To, to, the score if you're talking about something like lord of the rings or lion king that is amazing wow and um and at every step of the way you're learning stuff and at every step of the way you mm-hmm. can, you believe me walter i was taking those scores my copy because i always got a booth copy as the uh-huh. producer home with me and putting them in a binder mm-hmm. and saying one day i will use this to give aspiring composers who mm-hmm. have just come into the business that book that wasn't there for me wow that's amazing so let's let's go there real fast here because a lot of our listing audience they are in the aspiring stage they are trying to get into this world this amazing world quite frankly that you've had uh you had the, the privilege of, of being in the front row a participant which is just mind-blowing uh, and again, for those who are listening, I mean, this is just an amazing opportunity for you just to grab in some grab some information. So for that person that's on the outside looking in to that world out there in Hollywood and in major in the major film industry, what does it take for for someone to start to take steps to get into that world? Uh, the, the most common mistake is for people to think they need representation. They need mm-hmm. advocates. I got to have a lawyer. I got to have an agent. I got to have a publicist. I got to have a personal manager. I need all these props mm. because otherwise I won't seem legitimate. Right. I, w- I won't seem credible. And it, it uh, as many people, it only takes being in the business a year, maybe not even that much, to learn that it's a catch-22. None of those people are interested in you mm. until you've already shown what you can do. So the, the, the name of the game is at all costs and by whatever means, hopefully uh, honest, <laughs> hopefully uh, earnest, uh-huh. uh, and hopefully passionate, you get your name on an independent feature film. 
Ah, okay. And it can be a $10,000 film that your neighbor made with money from his grandmother. Uh-huh. If, if, it's a, if it's a decent little film and maybe it competes in a couple of regional festivals mm-hmm. and picks up a couple of good notices and maybe gets that director a little bit of recognition. Mm-hmm. Think of a movie like Winter's Bone, the movie that broke Jennifer Lawrence. Nobody had ever seen her before. And she's on the screen almost the entire film. And it's not sexy Jennifer Lawrence like we see every day now. <laughs> you know, it's Jennifer Lawrence, you know, in the backwoods. Um, wearing this big puffy quilted winter jacket through the sure. whole thing. And you can't even really tell what she looks like. But she was just great. And uh, there have been cases like that where a little movie mm-hmm. made the difference for a composer, too. Wow. Now, if you can't do it... If you don't have the resources to get to the places where these young filmmakers gather, um, if you can't go to the Sundance Festival or South 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 by Southwest or Telluride or Toronto and and kind of be that obnoxious person at the um, cocktail party, yeah. Who, <laughs> who makes his presence known. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's a filmmaker there that you want to work with, somebody you really admire, you, mm-hmm. you don't miss the opportunity to tell him so. Sure. Um, and uh, you, you have your elevator pitch ready, you know, whatever that ha- happens to be. But you can't always get to these places. You can't right. always get to where they are. Exactly, yeah. So you follow them through the trade magazines, you find out what they're working on, who they're working with. Is there anybody who you've got even like a three degrees of separation mm-hmm. connection to that is involved with that project? And is there some way you can get your music through to the director? Ah, uh, okay. And um, the other thing I see people doing a lot now, and then I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this part of it, is, is of course... Of course, everybody's making use of social media, and everybody, sure. mm-hmm. every musician is making use of YouTube, and SoundCloud, mm-hmm. and Bandcamp, and other sites like that. Right. The thing about it's a whole other discussion for us to have whether YouTube really is, in the long run, a good place for musicians to try and sell their wares. But the fact is that it's ubiquitous now. Mm-hmm. And you had composers like Johan Johansson, who recently died tragically at like mm. 50 54 but he he was the guy who wrote the music for arrival mm. and he had also been slated to do the music for blade runner but was bumped at the last minute by hans zimmer hmm. and um who knows he may have spiraled into a depression i'm not quite sure but he was a he was a brilliant up-and-coming composer and i say up-and-coming because your listeners should also prepare the fact that this is a long game. And what do you mean by that? If they start now, presumably at 26, mm-hmm. 27, 28, um, things might be really starting to roll for them when they're 42. Wow, <laughs> really? <laughs> and in the meantime, that doesn't mean they're not going to work. Sure. But they're going to do a lot of assignment jobs. Um, and things that are ancillary to the actual writing of the music, orchestration, arranging, copying, um, uh, MIDI programming, mm-hmm. um, technical chores, things like that. Um, the, the thing is to stay active and to always be able to say that you're working on something that you're excited about. So for someone to be pretty young, 
you know, most of our audience members are, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, huge movies with massive scores like Inception and Dunkirk or Matrix, The Matrix, you're saying that you pretty much have to be a veteran in the in the music scoring game in order to even have a chance at a role that of that magnitude. Unless the only exception mm-hmm. is if you are an already established um personage you know in another area of music for instance win butler who writes and sings for arcade fire got um the scoring gig on that spike jones movie her where scarlett johansson played the uh um disembodied digital voice the digital Mm -hmm. girlfriend um he got that because uh, he was in arcade fire Ah, okay. and, the, and the director really admired that band and admired their artistry and sure. said, I want to work with these guys. People do that occasionally with artists like Jonesy from Sigur Rós. Um, they do it, to some extent, Danny Elfman's career um, was kick-started by the fact that he was the lead singer in a popular L.A. cult band. I see, okay. But except for those occasions where you are already a little bit of a celebrity, mm-hmm. Um, in a related field, no, you can't go straight for those films. There is no way you can get through that wall. Mm, okay, it is so. Well, okay, I'll never say no way, <laughs> Walter. But <laughs> there's gonna be that one guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe nepo- nepotism might get you in. <laughs> Got it. Okay, but um, but no, if you're legitimate, mm-hmm. it's just it's just too thick a wall, and it's protected by people who are literally looking out for their survival, their yeah. livelihood, their status in the industry. Hans Zimmer, you mm. mentioned him because of Inception. Mm. Okay? He's Christopher Nolan's go-to composer now, yeah. and maybe he may be the best-known film composer um, in the world. He's certainly the only one who's um, who can fill stadiums on a concert tour wow. you know, the way he's doing now. But I remember when he was relatively new in L.A., mm-hmm. he had a fluke... streak of beginner's luck because he was uh, nominated for an Oscar for a movie called Rain Man with Tom Mm -hmm. Cruise and Mm -hmm. Dustin Hoffman. Yep. And it was a, it was a very, there was maybe 15 minutes of music in the entire film and it was all synthesizers and that's what he knew how to do. Mm. He was a very, he was, he was a protege or an admirer of people like Vangelis, the electronic composers of the 80s. Uh Uh-huh. And he had background in advertising, but he'd never taken on any any really big, high-profile features. And I remember going to his place. It was in a little rented, um, warehousey kind of um, uh, room on a kind of bare stretch, bad stretch of Santa Monica Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first couple of films we worked on together were there, and he was. He was working. I mean, there was money coming in. Right. But again, it was minuscule. Ah, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> compared to to where he got after Lion King. Wow. Yeah. And you know, it's so. These guys look. I think this is the most exciting, aside from possibly being um, an Indiana Jones style archaeologist or an international <laughs> playboy 
like James Bond right. or something. I think this is about the coolest job you can have. It seems like it. Wow. It, it, because you are, um, you are putting the icing on the cake. Right. And, and in a way, it's, it's such a lovely thing to do, to be able to sit back and look at a movie that mm-hmm. is nine, you know, 80% finished and say, how can we take this over the, the finish line? Right. So it seems like from what we've heard thus far, there's going to be, you have to do some resume building early on. And you kind of gave us some tips about how to start that to build the resume, to really look at the long game and to have some longevity and not look for some instant return. You also alluded to kind of being in the right place at the, at the right time, but a lot of that seems to be being proactive about pursuing that, the very thing you mentioned, resume building, meeting the right people, being in the right circumstances, and maybe have some things kind of strike for you and, and catch fire. So from a technical standpoint, though, what does one need to focus on a composer for these monstrous films that we talked about, does that, is that person like a, you know, a consummate composer in that they are, you know, well versed in, you know, all the music theory out there and can, you know, score things by hand and sit down with some manuscript and just start just jotting down all the, the notation. What does that look like for someone who's looking to build their technical toolbox to be a composer? For some that, <clears throat> that picture you just drew, mm-hmm. Uh, I would say for a very few, that's still the way it's done. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't always go with age and generation, but it tends to. Uh, James Newton Howard is a composer who fits the description you just gave. He's mm-hmm. He was originally a pianist, mm-hmm. um, and those piano skills help him enormously as a writer because he's really able to use that instrument as a tool sure whereas a lot of composers who are who are coming from guitar like me and have to adapt to keyboard as the principal vehicle for getting their music down mm-hmm. um, they're never going to have quite those skills so they think differently and they write differently look to give you two extreme examples mm-hmm. they uh they used to say that composers like bernard herman who did all the hitchcock films and still today, Ennio Morricone, who most recently worked with um, uh, Quentin Tarantino, but is known for the spaghetti westerns and a whole bunch of huge films. These guys write directly to score paper, which is to say the full orchestral score from top mm-hmm. to bottom, from yeah. flutes down to contrabass. Mm-hmm. And they actually write in the parts. They know the orchestra well enough. They are able to hear in their head mm-hmm. the music that they're composing sure. clearly enough that they can go directly to the page. That almost never happens now. Really? First of all, there isn't time allowed in the composer's process to do the kind of thoughtful, reflective work. You know, you've seen the film a few times, you've spoken with the director. Mm-hmm. You have an idea what he's looking for and what you're looking for, but you have to sort of work it out. You have to work out ideas on paper first, at the keyboard, etc. There's such a press of time to get to jump right into it now. Right. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you today exactly what the average composer um, 
uh, timeline is like, but mm-hmm. you know, it used to be four to six weeks. I think it's more like, you know, it's often three to four or two to three now, wow. and that's for fifty minutes to an hour of music. That's crazy. Um, so composers have had to get very fast, and what that has done is it's given a sort of Darwinian advantage mm-hmm. to the people who are best at the digital audio workstation. Uh-huh. Famous DAW. Exactly. You know, they, the people who get, who make themselves logic ninjas or Cubase ninjas, yeah. you know, or Pro Tools ninjas, early on, they will always work. Now, whether they also have the creative muscle mm-hmm. to make use of all that speed, that's the big question. And if they do... Nothing can stop them. Wow. If they're if they're if they're accomplished musicians, mm-hmm. which to me just means they can play at least one instrument well. Sure. Not maybe at a virtuoso level, yeah. but well. Well enough to play, to sit together with a small ensemble or a band or a combo and mm-hmm. and make good noise. You know? Um, they also they have to have studied not just the the traditional classical repertoire, but mm-hmm. to understand film music and write film music the way it's written now, you have to get a little bit into the these odd periods, the late nineteenth century, the early twentieth century, which is essentially romantic. It's I late, love that genre. Late romantic. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the composers who were writing what they called programmatic music, Rimsky, Korsakov, Prokofiev. Mm-hmm. Um, that many of the tricks of the trade come directly out of that music. Then you jump into the middle of the century and you look at people like Bernard Herrmann Mm -hmm. and how he took some of that language and, man, he just, he molded it like clay. He twisted it sometimes, Mm -hmm. perverted it sometimes, but he he made really good use of it and created something that everybody in the world recognizes as film music. Sure. So you got to know about that stuff, and you also have to study the work that people are doing now, both in the for the cinema and also for um, the concert hall. And I'm speaking of the the sort of cutting edge contemporary composers. Everybody from somebody like the Estonian Arvo Pert to um, Beck. Or to um, violinists who played, we're speaking of Arcade Fire, who plays frequently with Arcade Fire and in fact was co-nominated with Wynn Butler for that Oscar. I can't remember his name, but Mm -hmm. you need to listen to all these sort of post-rock things that are happening out there right now, which often involve, you know, big, long cinematic arrangements, but using guitars. So for everyone that's been listening today, Andy has given us given us some amazing, amazing insight, firsthand insight about the film business. And again, Andy is a wealth of information for those of you who are out there in the audience. If you're really serious about pursuing this as a as a career option, please make sure you start with grabbing Andy's latest book, Scoring the Screen. And again, that's Andrew Hill scoring the screen andy uh real quick will you just take us into what one can expect by grabbing your book um 
Yeah, I think I could do that. I, I should say that the um, subtitle is The Secret Language of Film Music. And, you know, I, and it's been that since the very beginning. And it's the kind of title you choose with some uh, caution, because if you can't pay that off and actually mm -hmm. reveal some sort of secret, then it's just hype, you know? Exactly. Um, but I did feel like um, I, in the course of researching this book, I had discovered some things that had never been widely discussed or spoken of or acknowledged um, that really do offer um, film composers starting out their careers a, a leg up in terms of understanding the vocabulary of musical emotion. How do you make people feel certain things? Mm. People talk right. about getting goosebumps in films when they hear a certain piece of music. What causes that? How do you, how do you try and make that happen through musical language? There, so people coming into this business, whether they've had training or not, they are, or formal training or not, they're all innocents. They're all naives. They really don't know yet how the music they write is going to affect an audience. And it's a powerful thing, man. If you write the wrong piece of music, you know it right away, and it sucks. If you write exactly. the right piece of music, it's amazing. All of a sudden, you feel like you've changed these people's lives um, because of the way they respond. And um, so I do think that there is stuff in this book, and it's the first time, why, I can't tell you, that uh, a book on the shelves, along with other books about film music, mm -hmm. is just about the music. It, the music is in there. I took the scores that I felt were uh, game changers in many mm -hmm. ways, that they, the composer had really charted new ground, um, which, by which I mean not just that it's cool stuff, not just that it's musically interesting, but that it sure. it changed what movies could say and how they could make people feel. And wow. movies like To Kill a Mockingbird, movies like The Matrix, movies mm. like How to Train Your Dragon, you know, they're, they come from all different genres, but they all have this quality that they really, really affected audiences very deeply. And, sure. Um, so you want to understand how that happened and why it happened and the choices the composer made that made it possible for that to happen. I really, I tried very, very hard to make that as clear as it can be made in this book. Mm. Now, that does not mean that it's a paint-by-numbers how-to kind of book. Um, as far as I know, Walter, that book hasn't been written and probably never will be mm. because because there's this other thing involved picture when you're writing music for a movie sure yeah you can't really put that in a book mm. you can't say if two people are about to kiss do this <laughs> you right. can make certain generalizations but i think the best way to teach that stuff is to show students and aspiring composers examples of where it's really been done right mm, and let okay. them see how Makes that sense. works and the, by the way the book very quickly is 
It's all yes. indexed. It's all set up so that essentially you can take the book, put it on a book stand, uh, I recommend, or some flat surface so that it you can open it up. You can rent the film and put the film up on your computer screen, or if you have two computer screens, put it on one and put your digital audio workstation at the other. Um, mm -hmm. You can follow the examples in the book. All of them are indexed to timings in the film. So wow. you can find the exact scene. You can, you can find the passage of music that I've reduced or excerpted in the film. And these are all mm -hmm. drawn from the composer's original score, every single one. And, and every single one where the composer was living, um, the composer approved the excerpts and the reductions made. I made sure that they looked at everything so that if I've gotten any of the um, dynamic markings or accents or, or any of the notes certainly wrong, mm -hmm. they would tell me so. They wow. didn't have control over editorial content, so if, if I thought they made a mistake, I said so. Um, it, this is not a puff piece. It's not... Um, written just to make the composers look good, although I think most of them sure. come off looking pretty good. Because I, I yeah. chose I chose scores that I thought were really extraordinary. Wow. And um, it'll be coming out as an ebook later this year, also through Hal Leonard. Um, right. And for both formats, whatever they are, the one for Apple and the one for uh, Amazon. But I'm very excited about the reaction that I'm getting and from the 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 sense that it has made a genuine difference that people who composers who didn't understand something before they mm -hmm. read the book now do understand it and and that, that makes me feel very good yeah that's amazing and again i i can't tell you how thankful and appreciative that that we are for for you coming onto the show today, you have literally provided a wealth of knowledge and the knowledge goes a lot further in the book Scoring the Screen. You just heard it firsthand from a man who has lived in this industry and knows the ins and outs. Check this book out if you're serious about moving your career in this direction. Again, we have been with Andy Hill, Andrew Hill the author of Scoring the Screen. Andrew, thank you so much. And before we let you go, because we know your time is valuable, how can we follow you online? Um, first of all, I should say, although my, my given name is Andrew, nobody in this business knows me as anything other than Andy, so that's just fine. And <laughs> secondly, there is a website. Got to have those these days. And for those yep. who don't like to buy a pig and a poke and want to learn a little bit about the book and maybe see a couple of the excerpts, you can go to um, scoringthescreen.com. It's the name of the book.com. Um, and you'll see excerpts from the book. You'll see um, descriptions of exactly what's in there. You'll see some testimonials um, from some names I'm sure they'll recognize. But my two favorite new parts of the website are that there is a blog on there where I interview um, current composers like. Daniel Hart, the guy who just scored uh, that movie with Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, A Ghost Story, was inter interviewed wow. recently on there. The, um, Jeff and Michael Dana, who are doing a tremendous amount of work out there. Michael Dana, of course, on Life of Pi. Um, <clears throat> and there, uh, there are lots of hints in those interviews, too, <laughs> about you know, awesome. how, how to get started and how not to get started in this business. Yeah. And there's also a coaching service. 
um, available through the website that I offer online for people who are already out there um, but mm -hmm. don't have an agent yet and are looking to sort of refine their presentation to the industry. Sure. Yeah, and that seems like a, an amazing resource. Again, guys, we highly recommend that you take them up on it. You heard the knowledge firsthand. Again, we've been with Andy Hill, the author of Scoring the Screen. Make sure that you check out the book. And we will also put in some links on our website and in the uh, the podcast episode notes here so that you guys can find the book and check out everything that Andy has brought to us today. Andy, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. It's been a great pleasure, Walter, and I hope we can do it again. All right, swim team, you've heard some information today that goes well beyond the norm. I mean, you're getting inside information from a guy who has lived in Hollywood and has worked with some of the biggest names in the business. You can get his knowledge by simply grabbing his book. Check out the links in the show notes area for Andy's info. He's uh, an amazing guy. Yo, as you can tell, we have some serious knowledge on this show. So please share this episode with all of your music friends out there. Hey, make sure you give us a review on iTunes and get with us on the next show. Make sure you subscribe. $10 a gas won't fill the tank, no. This just gets old. I know there's gotta be.